As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Max Boltman, with me as always is Prashant Iyer, and with Tyler Bertuzzi now is a brand new $3.5 million contract awarded via arbitration. It is for one year. And so Prashant, I ask you, what do you think? I think it's a, I think when you walk away from that deal, you got to be pretty pleased as a Red Wings fan that uh, you're going to be able to have Tyler Bertuzzi's services for you know, just $3.5 million. I think a lot of people would call that a steal. Uh, you know, you look at the evolving hockey projections for him. I think for one year they had him projected at $4.2 million, which oddly enough was what Bertuzzi asked for. And, uh, you know, to sort of be able to get him at, uh, you know, almost a million dollars less than that for this season, I think that's kind of a big win from a team standpoint. I think that's definitely the short-term outlook. It, it is good value. I think he's going to produce well above that this year i think even dom's model i believe it has him around six million of value uh considering where he's been trending the last couple years and you presume he's going to stay in the same role this year alongside don larkin and anthony mantha or at least otherwise somewhere in that top six likely pretty good power play time um but i think there's a lot more layers to it than that. And I think overall, it's a fine deal. It's not a problem at all uh, for anyone. It's, it's going to keep Bertuzzi as a restricted free agent. He didn't sound bothered by it. I think that's really important. And it doesn't sound like this process has really damaged anything. I, I asked him if he had talked to um, Eiserman or anyone from the front office since the hearing. And he said they haven't yet, but he doesn't feel like there's anything that needs to be Resolve. Basically, he said, we want to win hockey games. We're here to win. There's nothing personal at all. And I think that's an important thing coming out of this is that there's not a damaged relationship because um, he will still be an RFA next next summer. He, he could uh, become an unrestricted free agent the summer after that. Um, but obviously, I think the you, you presume that the 
the, the next step in all this is for the Red Wings to get something with more term done with Tyler Bertuzzi. So let's jump in right there. What do you kind of see as the the longer term ripple effects for this beyond just next year? Yeah, I think the obvious long-term ripple effect and, and the thing that you have to be concerned about if you are a Red Wings fan is, well, what if Bertuzzi just goes out and blows it out of the water, right? You know, he's had kind of back-to-back really solid seasons. You know, Max, you had a nice write-up talking about, uh, you know, the guy put up 48 points on a pretty bad team, a lot of it primary points, uh, doing it in very difficult competition, uh, you know, so he he was able to to give you pretty solid value. And so the concern by punting this down the road uh, a season is if he gives you another strong season that builds on the two seasons prior to this, now you're talking about potentially a bigger payday over a longer period of time in a scenario where the cap is probably not going up. So I think that's kind of the initial you know, okay, well, this is the potential negative of what was done here. Uh, if you think Bertuzzi is going to come out and be able to, you know, be highly productive on top of the last couple of seasons. So I think that's the nat- the kind of the natural ripple effect you have to think about by pushing this down one year. To me, that's a little bit of a trade-off. It's like you in one year, you, you probably gain just a bit more certainty about Bertuzzi, uh, probably a considerable bit, bit of certainty. Um, about the financial situation of the league, the salary cap, and a bit more certainty about what your own farm system looks like and the players you have coming through the pipeline. Those are all things you gain by kicking kind of a longer-term negotiation down the road a year. What you lose is another year uh, of the contract that you will eventually sign coming in those prime years, right? Like a, a four-year deal this offseason and a four-year deal next offseason. You're obviously, the year you're adding is at the back end, right? So that's post-prime year. Um, that I think that matters. Um, you could be paying a little bit more money. Um, and then you're also just introducing the risk of if Bertuzzi were to go to arbitration again next year, which I, I don't consider likely, but if it were to happen, that would walk him to unrestricted free agency. So to me, that is kind of the big trade-off that you're making, am I missing anything in that kind of calculation? No, I don't think so at all. I think the other thing, you know, by moving the deal to next season is, you know, in addition to gaining more information, whatever deal you hand out, um, assuming the term was going to be consistent with what you did uh, this this year. So, you know, hypothetically, if you had offered him four years, you would have bought out two unrestricted free agent years. Next season, that becomes three. And so just I think by virtue of buying out UFA years, you're probably – uh, going to have a more expensive contract there anyways. But I think in this situation, it just it, it all comes down to what do you project Tyler Bertuzzi to be? And I think that's the million-dollar question, and that's part of the reason why I don't think it's a problem for Eisman to say, let me get one more season of information. You know, you don't have a ton of information on the guy right now. You have two seasons, including one on a historically awful team. You know, I think... You, you just don't know enough at this point to make a strong decision saying, yeah, I'm really confident in throwing this money here, um, you know, versus saying, all right, let me let me get a little bit more information before I'm absolutely certain I'm going to commit money in term to this guy. I also think it's worth noting Bertuzzi is the one who elected for arbitration. Like, I think there can be sometimes a tendency to see everything as 
you know, Iserman's vision here. And, and I certainly think that based on comments Iserman has made about wanting to be careful going long term, I think that's part of this for sure. And, and I asked Bertuzzi today if if uh, he was interested in a longer term deal or if short was his preference. And he said it's a mix. So I, I think it's fair to say that, you know, this this is something that is not just solely decided by one party or the other. But yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you do get a little bit more um, you you make your decision with more information this way, and and I think one of the things that we should eventually get to, and I don't know if if this is the right moment for it, if you want to wait a few minutes for it, but Eiserman's perspective coming from the situation he did in Tampa Bay and the effect that that may or may not have on things here. That's obviously maybe the most cap, probably the most cap strapped team in the league right now. They just won a championship, so it it was worth it. But now they're going to have some major decisions, and and part of that is they they have signed a lot of guys. Um, to long-term deals over the years. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a fine time to talk about it because I think it really factors in how Iserman elected to approach, um, you know, this. And again, remember, you know, like you said, it was Bertuzzi who filed, not necessarily a team filing here. Um, but if you look at Tampa, I think for years and years and years, Steve Eiserman was lauded as one of the best general managers in the league for what he was able to build in Tampa. I mean, you look at that roster, they're, they're just dynamite up and down, uh, you know, really really, really skilled team. But if you kind of peel back the layer and you look at how Tampa is built, what Iserman effectively did during his tenure in Tampa was in order to keep that team together, he said, I'm going to give you term. I'm going to give you clauses, you know, no move clauses, no trade clauses. But in return, we're going to go with a, a lower average annual value. And so you look at their roster right now, and there are nine guys that have no move or no trade clauses. Eight of them, or sorry, seven of them were signed by uh, Iserman, uh, including guys like Andre Pilat, you know, Tyler Johnson, Alex Kaloran. These are guys that were supplemental players for Tampa, good supplemental players, guys that I would equate to kind of the impact of a Tyler Bertuzzi. But Ultimately, they were not the they were not the Steven Stamkos, they're not the Nikita Kucherov, and they're not the Braden Point. And and now you're stuck in a scenario where Tampa had to try and put Tyler Johnson on waivers, uh, and no one bought. No, you know, no one no one went for it. Um, and he's still got you know multiple years left on the deal with a modified no trade clause. It's not easy to move a guy like him. You know, Yanni Gord was signed right after Eisenman elected to step down, but he's six years, $5.2 million with, again, multiple years of uh, no trade clause, modified no trade clause. Palat still got, you know, a no trade clause for three years and then a, a modified for one year. I mean, it's it's now a scenario where you traded the ability to be flexible and to really build a sustainable uh, contender for a eight-year window that you'd needed that variance to come away from a cup. You know, let's just say you don't have the circumstances that you did this year and Tampa comes out of this season without a cup. Well, you're looking like they're probably going to have to tear this team down uh, in the next one to two years or at least make significant changes. And if that variance doesn't work out to where they get this one Stanley Cup, you're now looking back at Tampa going right back down to the almost being a cellar dweller in the next few years about how much they're going to have to sell off and move in order to stay cap compliant. So I think moving forward, Eisenman's biggest initiative has to be, I can't do those Palat deals. I can't do the Tyler Johnson deal. And I can't do the Alex Kalorn deal. Those are the deals that really hamstrung Tampa's cap. 
and it's going to hamstring them moving forward when they have to, you know, deal with Braden Point being a restricted free agent soon. They they have to deal with Anthony Sorelli and Mikhail Sergachev this year. I mean, it's it's going to be a significant problem, and those are the deals that are a problem. I'm not sure I'm totally there with you on it because I don't know that they win the Stanley Cup without those guys. And if you're not building it to win a Stanley Cup, I mean, like, for example, if, if you asked, if I was Tampa Bay's general manager and you asked me on the eve of the Stanley Cup finals, would I trade a future first round pick for the Stanley Cup to, to make sure I won that next series? I'd do it every time. So if they have to give up another first round pick on the back end here to move a Tyler Johnson or something like that, so be it. You know, there's too much time on his contract, but part of that is it takes him to age 34. It's not the number; it's that he's going to be 34 at the end of it, right? And so, uh, Kalorn is uh, is going to be 34 at the end of his, I believe, maybe 33. Um, nonetheless, right? Like Bertuzzi's 25. I think he. You know, I think you're right that he's in that tier of player who he's in your top six to at the worst he's going to be probably the best player on your third line, but probably top six for for any team uh, for at least the next few years, unless you're going six or seven years on that deal. I have a hard time seeing where it really bites you in the ne- in what the next four or five years for the Red Wings are going to look like, especially relative to the fact that he's pretty much shown what he is. I I don't know what you learn. And this we'll get to that in a minute. Let's just stop right there. So to me, it's just that the age here is a factor where for the role that he plays, and I think he's a pretty clear second liner for any contender, except maybe there's three or four I could think of Tampa, Vegas, Winnipeg, and someone mentioned Washington. I know you're, you'll mention Carolina. I think it's debatable with him and Natchez um, at this exact moment of their careers. But nonetheless, that gives you 80% of the league he's at least a second-line player on. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the the false equivalence that gets made here is, so in any given year, Max, what's the what's the best odds a team, the best team has to win the Stanley Cup? It's usually sub- 20%? Yeah, 20%, right? Yeah. So would you rather be the team that has a 20% odds for three years followed by 18, 15, 13, 9, 8, 7, 6, 4, 3, or would you rather be the team that has roughly a 12% or 13% chance on a 10-year basis, right? So I think that that's the problem is, fine, if I give you a three-year window of potentially being the best team in the league, the best team in the league rarely wins the Stanley Cup, right? There are so many other factors that go beyond just the pure talent of your roster that hamstringing yourself and in the future is just not worth it in the NHL, in my opinion. I think you're much better off trying to trade those pieces out, maintain some semblance of a top eight, you know, probability of winning the cup, and then hope that the pieces fall in place for you. And the pieces can be that hot goaltender that goes on a run. You know, it's the Jonathan Quick that carries the Los Angeles Kings to the Stanley Cup as an eight seed, right? It's it's that kind of variance that I would rather bank on that then bank on the 20% probability team actually winning the Stanley Cup. I mean, Detroit fans have to be all too accustomed with it. They were arguably the best team in the league for 20 years and came away with four Stanley Cups, which is, you know, 20%, right? And and so But that's really good. But again, remember <laughs> Do you regret it, any of it? <laughs> I don't regret any of it, but remember that's a pre-cap era, right? So you're able to do that very sure. easily. In Tampa's case, though, you can't have that kind of success in this era, especially you know, I think with the salary cap being in place, there is a significant trade-off you are making 
and you are mortgaging your future years to increase your odds of winning the Stanley Cup by maybe four or five percent. And again, the top team in the NHL just doesn't win the Stanley Cup as much as the best team in basketball. Yeah, if you're the Los Angeles Lakers, go out and sign Anthony Davis. That instantly makes you the the title favorite. Um, It's very easy to do. And the best team in basketball often wins. The best team in hockey rarely wins. And that's where I just don't I don't see the value in mortgaging your future. I mean, look at the San Jose Sharks. They are the example of what happens when all of those contracts catch up But what up about it is mortgaging the future? Well, look at, so look at the Sharks right now. They gave a lot of money to Brent Burns. They gave a lot of money to Eric Carlson. They gave a lot of money to guys. And now they're in a scenario where their window has closed and they are a bottom five team and they have no way out. The San Jose Sharks are in terrible cap hell, but they went after it. They went after the Stanley Cup. They made a final, but they just never had the odds fall in their favor. But, you know, for the better part of 15 years, the Sharks were the second best team or the third best team in the league right up there with Detroit and and Pittsburgh and then, you know, Interchange Chicago and L.A. I mean, the Sharks were very consistently a very good team. They threw a lot of money. The cards never fell their way. And now they're going to pay for it for the next 10 years. And that that's that's the problem I have. But don't you think the, the, the difference in Detroit situation and San Jose's is that all the guys you mentioned, Carlson, Burns, Velasic, that have five plus years left are already in their 30s and Bertuzzi's 25. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. I think the, the argument should be catered here in that I'm saying you're not going to give Bertuzzi any kind of term. And that was the problem with Eisman giving Johnson and Kalorn these, you know, seven-year deals. That was the problem. He gave it to them when they were 26, right? So Bertuzzi is 25. And so that's exactly what you don't want to do is give that seven-year deal and be stuck with that. I think at best or at most, you want to stick in a three- or four-year deal for a, for a player like Bertuzzi that you'll, you're able to rotate in and out. But it's when you start handing out those lengthy deals, that's what puts you in a lot of problems. And so that's where I think the Sharks messed up and it worked against them. The Lightning got fortunate this season. But like I said, you know, if you didn't have the variance workout to where you win this year, I mean, Tampa is probably having to tear down a lot of stuff over the next three years. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's quite possible. I mean, it, it, it's the dangerous game of it all, right? I mean, the Detroit Tigers were good for how long and, and did nothing to show for it with the best and one of the highest paid uh, rotations in baseball, and it just doesn't work sometimes, and that's the that's the nature of it. You play to win, but I don't think it's all meaningless if you don't. Um, but I, I get your point. I mean, I, I think uh, 
I think it's fair to draw a line in the term, but I think there's a, there is a difference between going one year or letting someone walk and going six or seven years. And I think that I think that four or five years should be where this ends up for for Bertuzzi a year from now. I think that would be in everyone's best interest. Um, you know, if they can get him to take three or four or whatever, that that's fine too. I don't see a world in which Tyler Bertuzzi does anything to hurt his value though this coming year. And so to me, that's where I wonder about the calculus is if you know what this guy is, why not do four or five years now and and have that first year of it come at 25, then do four or five years a year from now. And again, you're just adding that year onto the back end. Now, maybe it's, maybe that's, these are dynamic situations. So it's not the only option. It's not like the same deal you would have done this year is the same one you're going to have to do next year. And, and there is value in, in the, in the flexibility in the short term and in the information you're going to gain in the next year, not even just about Bertuzzi, but about the, the financial situation of the league. But I have a hard time seeing Tyler Bertuzzi coming back next, this, this coming season, likely playing with the same line mates, likely with a better supporting cast and doing worse. Now, it's going to be a pro-rated potentially season if it's shorter games, and I don't know how much that weighs in to something like, you know, contract negotiations. I mean, presumably you just say, okay, well, he would have been on pace for this, but I don't know if you always see that with players who, for example, just miss games for other reasons in a season. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's a shortened season and, and you get a little more time and and you get to see a little more, and you don't really ultimately have to pay exorbitantly more a year from now. That's possible. And I think the fact that the it sounds like relations between player and team did not take any kind of hit from this make it more or less fine. But I just am not so sure that it's a zero risk in terms of, like, if the Red Wings are going are gonna to give out a four or five year deal to Bertuzzi, I guess this is the, the thrust of what I'm saying, why wait a year? Why not start it now? No, I think that's a very valid question to ask because, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think you're going to see a substantial regression uh, from Bertuzzi this season. I don't envision a scenario where he's he's going to be worse. Um, the challenge for me, though, is 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 he still going to be that same? Is he going to be in this role in three years? I think yes. as I'm thinking about it. Good, and good the point. answer is... Maybe, right? Because yep. what if what does Philip Zadina do? What does Lucas Raymond do? What are these talented wingers that you've been drafting for the last couple of years? How quickly do they progress? How, and, and to me, I think just on raw talent, both those guys are have more pure potential and pure talent than, than Tyler Bertuzzi in that spot. And so in three years, are you paying Tyler Bertuzzi to be a second-line winger that plays, you know, maybe second power play minutes, uh, no penalty kill, and now you've, actually effectively diminished his role in that sense. And now you're paying him again above what his role truly is at that point. So I, I I think it's maybe it's less an indictment on Tyler Bertuzzi and more of an information gathering on Lucas Raymond and Philip Zadina, depending on how, you know, if Zadina is able to get back to playing, uh, you know, anytime soon. I mean, that may be the information gathering piece, but ultimately I think I'm grasping at straws to a certain extent, because I agree with you. I think Bertuzzi's not necessarily going to harm his, value this season um and it, realistically you you probably want to operate under the sense that Bertuzzi is probably a top six forward for you for the next four years if not five years uh and so you could you know make that deal and hand that out now with less information and potentially get a lower AAV um, but that being said you're still talking about a guy with less than 200 NHL games played 
um, right now. And there's a yeah. lot of different ways his, his career could go. I think still at this point, I agree. I think he's on the uptrend. I think he's going to look fine. I think he's going to be still roughly a 50-point player that you know contributes offensively and is maybe not as strong defensively. But we'll kind of see how that all shakes out. Yeah, and I, I guess that is that is where we come back to the fact that Bertuzzi is the one who elected for this, right? Like, maybe maybe there's more to be said about that, that, you know, he's a guy who, like I wrote, all he do, all he's done in his career is prove himself. And so he's not going to be shy about knowing that, you know, okay, play one more great year and I get a better contract. I mean, maybe he just didn't like what the offer was at, at any of those lengths. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go back, do it again, and, and and then I'll like the number more. That very well could be part of this. I mean, rarely do you find out definitively that it's all one thing or the other. There's all these mixtures of things going on. But, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi said, like, regardless of whether I signed for one year or long term, he was going to play like it was a one-year deal. And that's what you like about Tyler Bertuzzi. That's the player that he is. And so I think you factor it in that, you know, okay, so maybe we think the Red Wings would have done better to sign him early now, and maybe he thinks, yeah, but I'd have done better to sign it next year. Yeah, I mean, that could very well be the case. I mean, you look at Dylan Larkin, right? Dylan Larkin would have been better off signing his contract the following season, (laughs) um, not the season that he signed it in, right? And so, you know, a guy that I think lines up really closely with Bertuzzi in my mind is uh, Ricard Raquel, who's in uh, Anaheim. And if you kind of think about Raquel's career, it, his his arc is very similar to Bertuzzi. So, you know, in, in 2016, Anaheim is at the negotiation table with Raquel. And at that point, he's played, you know, 160 games, coming off a 20-goal, 43-point season, uh, solid player all around. Season prior was nine goals, 31 points, similar amount of games played. Anaheim comes in, they say, all right, we're going to hammer out this long-term deal. They get him on a six-year deal, uh, you know, at that point, that's just under four million average annual value, which in today's dollars would be about four point two million uh, for for Bertuzzi. And the following season, Raquel goes for thirty three goals and fifty one points, yeah. and then the season after that, thirty four goals and sixty nine points. Wow. And so that was the bet that Anaheim made, and they won that bet. But if you're Tyler Bertuzzi and you think my career comparable is Ricard Raquel, I'm gonna wait. And I'm going to play this out on one year. And now I'm going to cash in on that 33 goal season instead of cashing in on the 20 goal season. And so Anaheim won that maneuver and it worked out in their favor. So you have to wonder if by Bertuzzi electing, if he's thinking of something similar, that being said, you know, it, it remains to see, can he get to that next level of production, whether it's scoring, whether it's his on ice impacts, you know, he's still 139th and, expected standing points added above replacement over the last three years. You know, that's kind of squarely second line talent. Is he able to get himself into that fringe first line talent with that fringe first line scoring? And if that's the case, then that's a gamble that works in his favor. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about these bets, right? It's not like the only way for one party to make the bet. The Red Wings don't just get to say, okay, this is what we're going to bet on Bertuzzi because he has to sign it. The only way for either party to make a bet is by taking it to arbitration. And Bertuzzi is the one who did that. So he he kind of places the bet, I guess, from that standpoint. And I don't think the Red Wings are betting against him. I really don't. Uh, the fact that their number was pretty close, about, about a million apart from the number he filed, um, I think that's a, a positive sign for all parties here that they're not far off on the value of the player. I think the fact that the Red Wings number came in like a third of a million dollars within what the arbitration ruling was um that says that they put together a, a pretty good brief but also just they were in line like they're they weren't 
you know, massively lowballing him there because the arbitrator ultimately ruled pretty darn close to what their file was. So I do not think the Red Wings are betting against Tyler Bertuzzi. I do not think this should be read as a Iserman is skeptical of Tyler Bertuzzi. And I think sometimes there is a tendency for people to to speculate that, you know, everything has some indication of what the, the so-called Iser plan is. And not everything is a, is a tenet of, of the quote-unquote Iser plan. Some things are just the way they're going to play out. And um, I do wonder if, if this would fall into that category. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And, and just to kind of reiterate on the arbitration piece, you know, all of those those dollar values that both sides submitted, they're entirely based on player comps, right? So at that point, you're going to say, this yeah. is the player I best look like, and that's what I'm going to ask for. And the team is going to say, now nah, these are the players that I actually think are comparable. And based on their value, you know, that's what I'm going to do. So, you know, if you look in the case of Bertuzzi, it's really easy for the team to come in and say, well, Pavel Buchnevich makes $3.2 million, yeah. and Robbie Fabry is kind of a similar player, and he makes around that. So that's where my ask is going to be, right around that $3 million, a little bit above that mark. You know, if you're and if you're Bertuzzi, you're going to say, well, no, there's some other guys out there that I think I can get with. You know, it's the Andre Burakovskis, it's the Ryan Spooners, the guys that make closer to $4 million, so I can come in and ask for that. And, yeah. and that's all it is. And so it's really just the arbitrator's there to decide, who, who came up with the better comparator, like comparisons? And usually it's, well, you both came up with good ones, so I split the difference. And so I, I think that's a really reasonable way to think about this. And at this point in his career, I think Buchnevich is a great comparison to for Bertuzzi. Now, that being said, Buchnevich really took his game to the next level this past season. And that's what I'm looking to see from Bertuzzi to really be comfortable handing that out. Um, you know, handing out the term and really the money. I think that's the key here. Yeah. Okay. So let's go, let's rewind then a second to what you were saying about, you know, where he fits long-term, you know, beyond that. Cause I think that's a key point in all of this. And, and as, as teams are assembling their cap sheets, you know, you want to know that, okay, am I, am I getting, am I paying a guy to do the job he's going to have when it's time to like compete or, or whatever, not just for what he's done in the past, for the duration of this deal? Am I paying him for the job, the role he's going to have during this deal? And I will absolutely grant that the role Tyler Bertuzzi has on on last year's Red Wings and on next year's Red Wings and maybe even on the 2022 Red Wings um, is probably not the role he has when they are a team that's going beyond the first round of the playoffs. But I don't think it's that far off as some people seem to think it is. In, in some of the comments on my story, you know, people were asking, like, isn't he really more of a third liner? On a contender, I, I don't see that, and and I I map out where the Red Wings are at now and where I think they're going, and I think some combination your top six of the future is Dylan Larkin, Anthony Manta, Philip Zadina, Lucas Raymond, Tyler Bertuzzi, and then you're probably going to throw a center somewhere in there. If you if you're one of the more optimistic Jonathan Bergen believers, you can maybe make that case, but I think it's entirely possible that Jonathan Bergen's best season is not at where Tyler Bertuzzi has already been twice before age 25. So, but that's a good thing. You, you, you want, not that his best season could be that, but just that you have another player too. You have potentially multiple other players too. So I see Bertuzzi as in that top six, and I see one of the main tenets of his value is being his versatility. If you want to drop him down to the third line here or there for a playoff game or to create a spark or something, I think he's going to succeed there. But I just think he also does so much that complements those skill players that we just rattled off 
that he absolutely fits in the top six too, and, and he's going to hold his own producing and and uh, and scoring as well. That's where the primary points comes in. This is not a passenger who's getting credit for touching the puck. He's creating or or finishing these plays. So I see him as squarely in that in that mix. Now, where does Philip Zadina and Lucas Raymond's growth take them? Probably dictates where he ends up. But if though if those guys come to let's say ninety percent or eighty five percent of what the Red Wings want them to be and what they were drafted to be, then Bertuzzi probably comes in as the fourth winger of that group of four wingers. And so I think I do think it's fair to, to take that into account and, you know, think about that when, when you're negotiating the contract rather than, well, he was the leading goal scorer this season. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair because, again, I, I agree that when you go to be a Stanley Cup contending team, you know, arguably down, you know, five, five-ish years from now when the Wings are kind of back in that yeah. Uh, you know, mold, what, what are they going to be? And, and what do you, where do you want Tyler Bertuzzi to fit in? And I think you're exactly right that I still think on a championship team, he's, he's reasonably close to being a top six, if not a very solid top six player. Um, you know, if you look at, I think one way you can look at this is if you look at kind of Dom's uh, at what does a Stanley cup championship yeah. roster look like? Uh, you know, he talks about the, Wingers, your top line wingers having anywhere from a kind of a one uh, GSVA to a 2.4 GSVA. And so right now he's got Bertuzzi at 1.4. So maybe you argue he's kind of on the lower end of what's considered to be a top six winger. And maybe in a better scenario, uh, you know, you look at his third line winger that he's got um, and he's got 1.3. Maybe Bertuzzi lines up a little closer to that, but he's still not out of place on a Stanley Cup contending team, at least based on Dom's GSVA model. And so, you know, I think it's still reasonable to say that he's still there. He's still probably playing on your second power play unit, and that's still a valuable player to pay. It's just maybe he's not in a $6 million role. Maybe he's in a $4.9 million role. And that's going to be the challenge is, you know, how good are you at anticipating what that role is going to look like based on the you know, production of Lucas Raymond, the production of Philip Zadina. I mean, if Jonathan Bergen continues to do this, maybe he's a guy that needs to be in your top six. So, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting kind of decision to make, but I don't think it's out of the question that Bertuzzi is, is a top six player. It's just, do you have potential better options that may force him even further down in the lineup? Yeah. And, and you won't know that for a couple of years here. I mean, if, if things go well for the Red Wings rebuild, you want breakout prospects coming in that you had no idea were coming. This is your Braden Point or your Anthony Sorelli who come out of the third round and are, you're like, oh my God, they're you know a Selkie finalist or a Con Smythe finalist or whatever it may be, right? Like that, these are the guys you want. Braden Point might be a Hart finalist someday. He's a stud, right? Third round. So you never know when those guys are, are popping up, right? But usually they take time. Usually they take three, four, five years, especially at that point in the draft. And that's pretty much how long Bertuzzi took from the late second round in his draft. So to me, I, I do think it's you're still safe to to go with a little bit of term with him. But, but you know, bearing in mind that, yeah, whether it's Bergeron, whether it's, you know, I don't even know who else. You know, Robert Master Simone, I think, actually projects to be kind of like a Bertuzzi if, if, if everything pans out. Um, you could look at Ethan Phillips as a guy with a, you know, really interesting skill set who just may never make it because he's very, very small. But if he does, who, who knows, right? Like, just, but but I'm not saying that you expect any of those guys to, to become that. Theodore Niederbach falls in this category, right? But you just never know who's going to pop up and you're like, okay, well, that 
person can take a space in our top six now for $925,000 or depending on where they are in their contract, you know, $1.8 million or whatever it may be. So you bear it in mind, but I don't think you bank on it. And so I was a little surprised that it ended up getting to arbitration. I kind of thought they'd strike a deal at the 11th hour, but now that it has, it doesn't shock me. I just think the Red Wings need to make sure that they don't let him get away for nothing because I think he's a really good player. I think he's a playoff player. I think he, you know, his whole career he has been. He's, he's been even better in the playoffs than the regular season for, for most of his career. Um, they got to make sure they get it done next year. I don't think they've done themselves a massive disservice, though, by letting it get to where it is. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So I'm going to, I'm going to, Max, I'm going to throw you a galaxy brain proposal because that's what I'm here for at this point, right? So you let, you let Tyler Bertuzzi hit you, uh, get to arbitration, right? So he gets this one year deal. He gets this three and a half million dollar deal and he just goes out and he shows out. Uh, Do you trade his rights for a 2022 or 2023 first round pick? Whose? Bertuzzi. Like at the end of the year. Whose pick? Whose pick? Well, you know, at this point, you're just saying that you're you're going to try and shoot for a lottery pick. You're not really sure. I would pick a team that's going to be, you know, have have kind of that variance deal. You know, you know, Vegas is a team that may have to tear it down. You know, you're, you'll have to kind of scout it out. But you're going to shoot for a team that potentially has the ability to fall into the lottery. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's off the table. But again, if he goes off and he gets 60 points this year, why am I doing it for anything less than a top 12 pick or something? Right, like, why am I doing it for anything less? Than yeah, the I mean, top lottery pick, pick, right? So, yeah, right. lottery pick is going to be in there. But, but, but if I'm going a year out, I don't know that, and I'm giving him a player who might help him get out of that. So, um, maybe if it's like in the 2021 draft, and it's like, okay, I know exactly what range this is going to be, and I know, I don't know who Luke Hughes is going to be there or whatever. Uh, you could think about it. That's the job of a general manager. I'm just saying I wouldn't be looking for ways to get Tyler Bertuzzi off my team. Like, I don't think anyone should be. He's a really good player. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't think you should be looking for reasons to get him off. I think the kind of galaxy brain idea, and that's not super galaxy brained, is you know at that point now you're talking about a 26 year old player. Uh, I think we all agree that Detroit's probably still a bottom five team next year. Yeah, and I think we all agree that they're a handful of elite pieces away from really being a sustainable contender. Right? I don't yeah. think any of that's contentious. So nope. the 2022 draft is loaded. The 2023 draft is loaded at the top really elite talent at the do top. you right at the top and so what i'm saying is you, you you're gonna swing for a lottery pick that's what you have to swing for with that with a deal like this um you can't swing for anything less so do you 
make that deal to almost reset the timeline to better line up with a 2020 or a 22-year-old Philip Zadina, a 20-year-old Lucas Raymond, and you know a 21-year-old Moritz Sider. And now you reset and you add a guy that's like an 18-year-old, you know, Mitchkov from Russia who's just an absolutely ridiculous talent right now. I mean, he's 15 years old and tearing up, you know, the Russian leagues. Do, do you do that? And I wonder, because that's your best shot at adding elite talent, if that's something that you keep on the, uh, you know, on the market here and you allow Bertuzzi to kind of get out that way if he is able to give you that opportunity. I've... I wrote this uh, a few months back. I don't think you can ever count on a top three player in a draft class ever. I, just based on, unless they change the lottery, you know, whether it's your pick or someone else's, like, I don't know if people are acknowledging enough that Lucas Raymond at fourth overall may, may very well, I, I would call it even money, be the highest drafted player on the next Red Wings playoff team. Ver- I would call it even money. Like, there's a decent, if not even good chance that that's the case. You just can't, with these odds, you can't expect the top three. So you look at that 2022 class, and it's like Shane Wright, Brad Lambert, uh, Savoie, I think, is the other one. And there's other names in that. Like, there's a, a guy with an incredible name in the, in the, for the NTDP, Rucker McGroarty. Uh, <laughs> and there's some just unreal names in that class, too. It's a good draft, no doubt, but it's two years away. So let's not anoint it yet. I also see people r- rag on this coming class, and they do not have, I, I would say, any of Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzla would probably be the, you know, one year ahead. This is this, this player's draft kind of thing. So you're pretty much starting at number four here. But there's awesome players in this draft too. Like you know, Owen Powers looks Owen Power looks awesome. You know, and and you're gonna get good players still through the top ten here. Uh, is what it looks like a year out. Like looking at a draft and saying it's a great draft because it's got a great top three names. You're probably never getting those top three names, likely never. I, I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't bank on it, yeah. right? But should you give yeah. yourself the best chance? Ideally, but I'm not. Oh, man, like I I don't know if I would trade a, a proven good player for for that you know for that uh, that potential. Because if I, if it if it doesn't come through and I end up with like the twelfth pick and I've just traded Bertuzzi, then I don't know how happy I am. Like you know, but it, it could still work out. You just you got you got Dylan Larkin at fifteen. You got Anthony Mantha at like twenty, right? Eighteen, twenty. I think they traded back from eighteen to twenty. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think honestly, the reason I bring this up is because the 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 dirty question that everyone is going to have to ask themselves at some point is: this doesn't apply to just Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah. Is your on your next playoff team are Dylan Larkin, Anthony Mantha, and Tyler Bertuzzi leading that team? And you have to ask yourself that because as they're starting to push 25, 26, and you're telling yourself you're five years away, yes, they're still going to be good players at that time period, but you know they're going to be exiting that phase on the back as you're kind of ascending into that time yeah. slot. And, 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 and that's the question you have to ask yourself. What a, what a deal does, and again, I'm just throwing this out just for the sake of conversation, yeah. what a deal f- by moving Bertuzzi does is it resets that window. You now take a 26-year-old and you turn it into an 18-year-old, and now you match that 18-year-old with your 2022 or your 22-year-old Zadina, your 22 your 20-year-old Raymond, your 21-year-old Cider, and now that core age group is much tighter. I'm not saying you you do it because you look at Dallas, right? Dallas right. was able to make a lot to of things work by having Right, yeah. they they bridge the window by of of Heiskanen and 
you know, his kind of group, Rupe Hints and whatnot. Gurianoff. And they bridged it, you know, with the Pavelski, the the Corey Sagan. Perry, and, you know, those guys, right? So you can do it. It's just that's the question that everyone's going to have to ask themselves is, are those three guys going to be leading this team moving forward? I think Larkin's a pretty solid yes for me. Yep. I think Mantha's a, a person that I would like to say yes about. But Bertuzzi is the one of the three that's just, to me, not on the same level as those other two guys. And if you're able to net something out of it that allows you to reset that timeline, I may consider it. I, I, I buy that it's a debate. I definitely buy that it's a debate. I'm not saying uh, it'd be crazy or anything like that. I uh, I I think when you look at the teams that win it, the players who are the best players on it, um, they often can be those young players. Like, you know, you get your, your point. You, I think about Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves were still very young when they won it. But sometimes it, you know, sometimes it is that that blend of windows, right? And the St. Louis Blues did that. I think they had guys, you know, in their late twenties who were doing it, and uh, you know, it, it 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 can go any different direction. So I think you got to consider it all as it comes. It's the boring answer. I know I'm not going to give the Galaxy Brain answer to the Galaxy Brain question. So uh, minus five points for me for not answering the question as, <laughs> as presented. But uh, I don't know. It, it would all depend in practice. I. What I'll say, big picture to just wrap it all up, though, right, is like I think Tyler Bertuzzi is a guy you want on your team when the games, when the Red Wings get to the point where they want to go. And there is always a point where you say, you know what, as much as that's true, this other thing could outweigh that. There's always that point for everyone, for McDavid, you know, there is that point. But as of this time, I wouldn't be out there searching for those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you have to actively search for them, but I do think you have to be in the, of the mindset that everything is on the table, you know, with a guy like this, with your situation like this. And you have to, you have to have a plan A, a plan B and a plan C, and you have to have really 37 other plans, uh, all based on different projections, probabilities, outcomes. And, and from there, knowing which path to take, uh, is going to be the key. And I think there's so many missteps that can be made. You know, tr- trading Tyler Bertuzzi could be a misstep. Doing, Letting him file for arbitration and not getting a deal done, that could be a huge misstep if he goes off like Raquel yeah. did for Anaheim because now you're you're absolutely screwed uh, in that sense. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of different missteps that could happen, but I think you always have to have options and ideas. And, and I think part of what I just like to do is float these ideas because- sure. You just have to think about it. I mean, yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi is absolutely the guy you want on your playoff roster. He's probably the guy that, you know, goes out and gives you those 10 goals that you're not expecting in a playoff yeah. run. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's kind of what you want. You know, I, I often I made this joke uh, on Twitter that I didn't really send out out loud, but I mean, I called him a slightly more talented Daniel Cleary. I mean, but Dan Cleary was the guy you wanted on your playoff roster. I mean, sure. in 08, 09, Cleary had nine goals and 15 points and scored the game-winning goal in Game 7 against the Ducks. Like, he was the guy that got stuff done, um, you know, in the playoffs behind the Datsuk and Zetterberg. And so, you know, it, it, it's a that's the kind of player you need. It's just you have to have a lot of options available. Yeah, and part of the rebuild is getting to a point where you have to make those kind of calls. And, and I think that Tampa Bay is clearly there, and, like, Here's the deal about it, right? It's it might be painful for them to to do it, but it will be way less painful in this situation since they won a Stanley Cup, and I think Tyler Johnson helped them do that. But I get your point too that it was not a given they were going to win it. 
they could have easily gone out, you know, in, in that five game round at the beginning. And then it's like, oh, God, because, you know, didn't they go to they, they were one one at one point with Columbus or no? I think they were. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing, right? I mean, Columbus Columbus could have done it again. I mean, that was yeah. that, let's just look at last year. Tampa had a historic regular season and they were swept in the first round, right? So that's what I just mean. It's like you can put all your eggs in the basket, but if you if that's your only way out, I just I don't feel good relying on 20% probabilities uh and hamstringing my future. I'd rather be at 16%, but be able to do 16% for 20 years. Yeah. All right. Well, then there's only one other thing I want to talk about before we sign off. And that is, did you see some of the more insider videos that were going around the internet from Rugla's game yesterday? I mean, he's he's pretty good. He's, he's really, really good. good. <laughs> he's really good. I, I think he is going to be too good for the SHL, um, you know, really, really soon. I mean, yes, it's a five-game sample. Yes, you know, we haven't seen more of it than that. But when I watch Cider right now, he just looks like he's so confident with the puck. Everything is in slow motion. There's just no concern whatsoever when he is there. There's no there's no panic. And right now, I mean, he's sitting with like a 67.5% five-on-five, you know, Corsi 4%. That's just ridiculous numbers. Um, I don't know if it's sustainable. Yeah. It would be the best mark in league history uh, for the SHL <laughs> since they've been tracking for the last six years, um, just to kind of put that out there. But he's just, he's just, it's fun to watch. It's crazy. And, uh, you know, I think it's been hovering at that number like the last three games too. So like, it, I agree that it doesn't seem like it should be sustainable, but it kind of isn't moving either. So I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. He had the one play where a, a defender kind of stole the puck. It was one of those dangerous turnovers that happens at, at the defensive blue line. And Cider just calmly, nope, my puck, takes it behind the net, rims it around to, to a teammate, completed that pass. And then the four checker tried to finish his check on him. And as most four checkers who try to finish a check on Mort Sider do, ended up on his ass. And I was like, man, this kid is having no trouble adjusting to a new league here. Uh, and I, it, I mean, I'm sure it helps that he's used to the insane. ice. But yeah. Yeah, it's just insane. I think, you know, for those who remember back to the late 90s, it, it reminds me of Vladimir Konstantinov. I can't, I can't say enough about it. There was, Konstantinov was so smooth on the puck, so smooth on his skates. But man, if you tried to hit him, you were going to take a seat. And the funny part was Konstantinov was 5'11 doing this. Sider's obviously much bigger than him. But his game reminds me just a lot of that Vladimir Konstantinov type game. And so I think that's really, really exciting for Red Wings fans. I mean, speaking of playoff type players, right? The kind of guy you want on your team when it's playoff time. That's this is it, right? Yeah, I mean, you want you want Konstantinov on your uh, yep. roster all the time. I mean, yes. honestly, yeah, of course. You know, the the fun part is you think about the Red Wings of the late '90s and early 2000s. Nick Lidstrom is not Nick Lidstrom that we know if Konstantinov is able to play his career out. I'm just gonna say that. Konstantinov would have competed for every single one of those Norris trophies. I don't remember that time. I was very, very young, but I'll I'll buy it because I've heard nothing but great things uh, about him. He is uh, he was on another level, and I think Cider is off to a really good early start and it's looking a lot like him. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for us. 
Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, We're probably due for a mailbag episode relatively soon here, so keep an eye out for that at some point. Um, But, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.